0: Girls5eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other eligible categories. Hi everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 299th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the outstanding actresses of her generation a woman who seemingly came out of nowhere and became a star and America's sweetheart in Cameron Crowe's 1996 film Jerry Maguire, for which she received a SAG Award nomination. She has since shined in a slew of films, including Carl Franklin's One True Thing in 1998, The Farrelly Brothers' Me, Myself, and Irene, and Neil LaButte's Nurse Betty in 2000, winning a Golden Globe for the latter, Sharon McGuire's Bridget Jones's Diary in 2001, for which she received Oscar, Golden Globe, and SAG award noms, and its 2004 and 2016 sequels, receiving another Golden Globe nom for the former. Rob Marshall's Chicago in 2002, for which she won Golden Globe and SAG awards and earned an Oscar nom. Anthony Minghella's Cold Mountain in 2003, for which she won Oscar, Golden Globe, and SAG awards. Ron Howard's Cinderella Man in 2005, Chris Noonan's Miss Potter in 2006, for which she received a Golden Globe nom, and most recently, Rupert Gould's Judy, a film about the last year in the life of Judy Garland, which had its world premiere at the Telluride Film Festival last month, in which she sings, dances, and looks just like the late showbiz legend, and for which she is already the clear frontrunner to win the Best Actress Oscar, a roller coaster 16 years, after her last Oscar, the great Renee Zellweger. Over the course of our conversation in Zellweger's dressing room at Ellen on the Warner Brothers lot, where she had just taped her first talk show appearance in years, the 50-year-old and I discussed her rise to stardom, the work that went into the roles for which she is best known, why she felt compelled to take a six-year hiatus from the business between 2010 and 2016, what she makes of the revelations about Harvey Weinstein who distributed many of her films, how she prepped to play Judy Garland in Judy and what she makes of the fact that the performance is bringing her some of the best reviews of her career, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Renee, thank you so much for doing this. Really nice appreciate it. You. You Thanks too. for
1: asking me along. Of course.
0: So uh, we always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for oh, a living?
1: I like that one. That's easy. <laughs> um, I was born in Houston, mm-hmm. and my mother is a midwife. She delivered babies in Norway, and she became a pediatrician's nurse when she came to America, mm-hmm. and. My father was an engineer. Yeah, and uh, I should say he is an engineer because that never changes. Right, the brain of an engineer, once an engineer, always. He did mechanical and electrical. He built power plants and everything electronic in our home. Yeah, from the turntable to the speaker systems to the televisions and everything. He built them with a soldering iron until yeah until he built built our house.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, uh, multi talented family, and um, I, I was going back and reading stuff written about you ahead of this from, you know, the very beginning. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, I guess growing up in the part of Texas where you were from like, what was it, nine or something on, Mm -hmm. it was a little bit remote. And you were saying to people that, you know, there wasn't necessarily that much exposure to acting and certainly to theater. I read a profile that somebody did with you after Jerry Maguire and they went with you to a play and you said that it was the first play you'd ever seen. So what was your exposure to this prior? I mean, obviously must have been limited. So where did your desire to even get into this come from?
1: I think we can blame my brother. <laughs> he started to take speech and drama as an elective in junior high school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, You know, I worship my brother, and I still do in so many ways. And I wanted to be like him, so he played soccer, I played soccer. (laughs) He just couldn't get away from me. So he started the speech and drama, and then so did I. And
0: did you immediately, like, was there a— aspect of it? Was it a, a show or a part or something that hooked you?
1: No, no, not at that time. Yeah. I just loved the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed, you know, what were probably horrifically bad performances <laughs> that, you know, I'm getting to do. And, you know, speech tournaments were really great. You hop on a bus and travel out of town with all your buddies mm-hmm. really early, you know, when it's still dark out on a weekend. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I never considered that it was going to be, you know, a career choice.
0: So when you went off to the University of Texas, what did you imagine you would focus on there and do afterwards?
1: Um, I thought I would write. I thought that I was going to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. And they have a fantastic journalism department at the University of Texas. It's been ranked among the tops for, you know, since, you know, time immemorial yeah. Uh, yeah. with the Daily Texan yeah. newspaper. And uh, I just um, I never got around to submitting. I kept making up excuses why I just couldn't do it, <laughs> yeah. couldn't do it, you know, couldn't...
0: Uh, to make it your major, you mean, or to... No,
1: to, to submit something, yeah. a sample, a writing sample, okay. to join the paper. Okay. And finally, I just had to, you know, come to Jesus with myself and said, <laughs> okay, now there's reason that you're not doing this because, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, mm-hmm. and you keep making up every possible excuse not to do this. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here, you and know? And
0: simultaneously, how did... Acting while in college entered the picture, and to the extent that it sounds like it was while you were there that you got your SAG card, that you started making a few bucks to help pay for tuition, like it all started going while you were there, so why? Well,
1: I had some photographer friends, Mm -hmm. and they would ask me to come and do photo shoots with them, Mm -hmm. and suddenly I had a book, Mm -hmm. and suddenly I had a commercial agent, and then that went from photographs to, you know, I guess little commercials here and there, and then little bit parts with one line or two lines or whatever it might have been, and meanwhile, I needed to take an elective to get my degree and drama fit. So I just went to this class thinking it would be fun to revisit my old hobby. Mm -hmm. And it somehow became important to me.
0: Well, I read that there was actually a specific part in that case where I don't know if it was even a moment you could pinpoint playing that part, but where you got hooked. The way it was described in one kind of early profile, you were doing a student thesis film, a uh, girl playing girl in a boarding house contemplating suicide. What, why was yeah. that the part that hooked you? Couldn't tell you. Yeah?
1: No, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Uh, the experience of trying to understand this person, this character, imagining what motivates her and uh, living that life and what that might be like just storytelling it just became this wonderful creative opportunity to explore this this of a life and I again love the camaraderie yeah. the process of making this and there were maybe five of us who were making this film and the sticks outside of <laughs> Austin and you know the gaffer was the caterer was the you know teamster was the DP yeah. and yeah. you know and I held the boom for the other you know things yeah. like that and I, I just I really fell in love with that and uh, as the work started to sort of accelerate and I was graduating yeah. and trying to decide if so I was gonna take the GMAT or the LSAT and keep going. Mm-hmm. I was working.
0: Well, in terms of film work, two of the first film roles, I think maybe the first two, were while you were still in Austin and with a classmate, I believe, who happened to be in both of those films with you, right?
1: All right,
0: all right, yeah. <laughs> all right, <laughs> Mr. McConaughey. So he do You you just happen to know him? in school and you guys both wound up seeking professional film work and wound up in Days and Confused and a similar caliber film, I don't know, Texas no. Chainsaw Massacre of the <laughs> Next Generation?
1: No, <laughs> no, I think it was, I think it was accidental for both of us actually. I can't remember what he said he was studying, but he met the producer of Days and Confused at the Hyatt oh, in that's Austin, right at the bar, yeah. Yeah, 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 at the yeah, bar, yeah. and my understanding was that he was on a date and then suddenly he was on a date with Don Phillips <laughs> right, right. and that it was just a fun conversation and he met this person who would essentially change his life. Yeah. And I, you know, I read the script and I went for an audition for and Confused yeah. with Rick and I thought, Wow, you know, he's my he goes to my school and he's a film major and this just seemed to make sense to me. And I didn't get cast in the film, but they did ask. If I wanted to be a featured player. So
0: you were like the what was it the girl on the car or whatever? Girl in blue truck. The girl in the yeah. blue truck. Yeah. So
1: uh, there's the high school girls right. <laughs> and then there's the peripheral high school right, girl right. in the blue truck. The
0: ones that keep him uh, whatever his line was. Oh, right. They they get I get older, I get older but older they, they stay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, so you there are those two early movies without much substance for you to really bite into. But then the first one that it seems like was a substantial part was, I believe, also in Texas, Love in 45. And that led to a lot of things, right? I mean, that was sort of the one that opened the doors.
1: Yeah, I guess that's probably true. Yeah, it was.
0: And so, like, basically, before that came out is when you decide you're moving to Hollywood or it was,
1: Um, it was around the same time. I wasn't going to move. I was going to stay in Austin because there's no good reason to leave Austin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to stay and keep working in Texas if that was an option. But I think the next couple of auditions that came down the pike were a commercial mm-hmm. one was for Long John Silvers and one was <laughs> a regional it was for you know it was a local yeah, commercial yeah. and I thought oh but I, I've already done that yeah and it felt like oh, at that moment I think I, I recognized that if I'm gonna grow professionally and I don't mean in terms of get from here to there yeah, yeah. I mean if I'm gonna have new experiences yeah. I might have to move
0: so this is 1993. You get out there without representation when you arrive, right, in terms of film work. Mm -hmm. And the way I understood it, even though Love in a 45 had not necessarily been released theatrically. People were seeing it around town, and that was like your calling card. You got an agent as a result of that, and the next opportunity is because of that? I
1: guess so. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't aware yeah. of how things work. Yeah. <laughs> I just I honestly don't know what the plan was, what I was thinking was going to happen, but the phone just started ringing,
0: Yeah.
1: and it went from there. And so
0: some of those early things would be like Reality Bites for Ben Stiller and- some I other... was still
1: in Texas. For I, that one, too. Yeah. Wow. We, were, we were actually filming Chainsaw Massacre when I got the phone call to drive to Houston and meet this young new director. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I, I said young director. Yeah. I had no expectation that he was as young as he was. Wow. That was a really great experience.
0: And when you're out in L.A., yes, you're acting, but you're also at that point, pre-Jerry McGuire having to make a living in other ways too, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And my friend hired me to be the bar back at the three clubs Mm -hmm. on uh, Vine,
0: Mm -hmm. which is really, really (laughs) sweet. And so I guess that sort of gets to the point where I have to ask you who Gail Levin is.
1: Oh, yeah. She's a great person. Very kind and supportive. and
0: Just essentially like a a casting director, right? It was her idea that Cameron Crowe see you?
1: I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. She had spoken with John Carbino, who was my manager, yeah. uh, my new manager yeah, at, at the time. time. I yeah. think they were friends. And I guess she had seen the whole wide world. Uh-huh. And she thought that maybe we should meet.
0: Uh, so I guess at this point, this is Cameron Crowe writing and directing, James L. Brooks producing. And the way that I've gone back to read some of their interviews and stuff at the time, where they're saying for this part of Dorothy, the single mother and accountant who goes along eventually here professionally and romantically with Jerry Maguire that they were thinking we got to find somebody like Shirley McLean in the apartment who can hold her own and all of that. And I guess I just wonder if you can take me through the casting process from the earliest call from Gail or whoever to getting the call that you had this part, which was going to change everything
1: yeah that was a really fun time in life yeah it was really fun because you know all of it was surreal there's nothing to lose and everything was really funny to me you know to get this phone call that yeah you you're gonna go down to sony today (laughs) and they're gonna let you in
0: yeah well, yeah, you're going right. to drive
1: on the lot, and they're going <laughs> to let you in. And this is how naive I am. I got to Jim Brooks' office, and he had the posters on the wall yeah. of all of his masterpieces, you right. know, Turns of Endearment. You right. know, the list is so long. And I thought he just had good taste. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you thought those were just things he liked. <laughs> we, lo-
1: we love the same things.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, there you go. Because, so, I mean, at that point, you were what, 20, this uh, is 90, seven. yeah, 27. Yeah. And no, it's 26, I'm 26, sorry, yeah, it's
1: 26.
0: New to town, and now, did you know, so you, your first thing, though, was meeting with Jim, or before that, there were some other earlier rounds? I met rounds. Cameron.
1: Yeah. And I met Lisa Stewart, yeah. who I like to say was his right-hand gal yeah. at the time, and remained one of my dearest friends. Yeah. But yeah, she was laying on the floor because she had a back problem at the time, but back was bothering her. She was wearing her denim skirt and clogs. I remember, <laughs> oh, we're going to be friends. And she said, don't be nervous, it's going to be fine, you know. and met Cameron he's a music lover and we just had and you knew this so was much in common
0: for a part Opposite Tom Cruise, or did you not know that yet? He,
1: I didn't. I did yeah. know. But you know, I was just thrilled they let me on the yeah, lot, be... and then to meet this really great guy. Right. He's so much fun, and he's so interesting, and so fun to We're talk about? to. Tom. Cameron. Oh, Cameron. Yeah, okay. this was the first okay. day. Yeah, the so, first day. Yeah, okay, Yeah, so okay. we we I did, and I just liked him so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. So that was I'm good now yeah. at this point because I had this great day. Yes. We played music. <laughs> we traded stories right. about awesome music and you know what we liked and right. it was such a fun day. So, and then I met Lisa Stewart. I'm good. Yeah. You know, life is golden right. and I had to get to work, right. you know, so <laughs> off we go. And then I got a call that they'd like you to come back you know, and John was my manager again, Was telling me they like you to come back and mm-hmm. was like, you know, they want you to meet with Tom. And I started laughing and I think I just kept laughing until I walked in the doors at Sony that next <laughs> week or whatever it was. I drove there with the windows down and the music blasting yeah. laughing the whole way. That Not I nervous. was Well, it was just surreal that they were gonna let me on the lot again yeah. and that Tom Cruise is there <laughs> and he was waiting for me and
0: was he somebody, funny. was there a parallel to the characters in the sense that was he somebody that you had kind of come up liking or knowing about or whatever just as a moviegoer oh
1: of course yeah of course yeah and he's wonderful yeah he's such such a talented actor and he always struck me as a really kind person yeah. and I mean there's no disappointment in meeting him He's very generous and kind and looks you in the eye and is authentically curious yeah. when he asks you questions. Yeah. Yeah. And he just has a, a wonderful vibrancy about him. Right. And I don't know if you've met him. Have you met him? I,
0: he's actually one of the, the few. I've been lucky to do a lot of these interviews and meet a lot of people. He's one of the few that I've never... He's,
1: he's on yeah. the list? He's
0: on the list. Oh, I, yeah. but well, let's I've, put it out there. Yeah, it'll Come be on, Tom. Huh? We're putting Come it Come get
1: on the couch. <laughs> yeah, no, he's... Well, that's... There's the... a, right? There's a reason. <laughs> yeah (laughs) he's a movie star sure and you meet him and you know he's just a really great person
0: well Cameron and Jim said that part of the thing they among numerous things they liked about you was that you didn't seem intimidated by him a lot of people I think came in and maybe understandably are a little freaked out but how do you explain that at 26 with no real experience you were able to confidently hold your own
1: oh I don't know that's a really interesting question I never thought about that I don't know. I was just interested in him as a person, yeah. and he struck me as just such a special person. Yeah. That, you know, the other stuff is great, yeah. but who
0: he is—that was more. Yeah. Yeah. I did read, and and there's not everything out there is correct, so I'm going to ask you to correct me if I'm wrong oh, here. Oh, let's not. <laughs> it's <laughs> so
1: much more interesting. <laughs>
0: Just to leave the legend? Or... Yeah. Well, okay, so...
1: The only thing good, saying, I was joking, <laughs> this person said to me the other day, so they make a story about your life one day. I said, they're not going to make a story about my life. And Whoa. she said, why? I said, because all the good parts are not true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, this one is pretty amusing, but...
1: Aren't they all? All
0: of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right.
1: Hit me. Let's all know. right. What you
0: got? Your screen test. First time oh. you're doing a scene with Tom. Yes. Apparently he and Cameron quietly planned something to see how you would handle something. Little... Um,
1: yeah, I think I have a little bit of recall about that. And uh, it was.
0: What, what, what are we talking about?
1: He actually did kiss me in the thing. But it's written on the page. In the screen so yeah. Okay. But you know, it's like when you go in for auditions and stuff and it yeah. says, uh, now you fight and grabs him by the throat and right. blah blah blah. Right. You know, you usually pantomime that stuff right. just to get around the awkwardness right. of it. And there's sort of an understood light of like I don't know, parentheses yeah. around it that this will happen right. on right. the right. day. Right. But right now you're just gonna look like right. a turk being really awkward in this but fight he, scene. He did it. But yeah it was Sweet.
0: Was that the Was that the extent of it?
1: It was sweet. Well, it was, <laughs> well you know. Yeah. A, all
0: right. A little grabby. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay.
0: Well, okay. Next question. You get the part. Do you remember where you were when you got that part?
1: I was in Sundance with The Whole Wide World yes. with Dan Arland. Yes. Oh, and Vince D'Onofrio. Yeah. Oh.
0: And you remember how you and we it. the
1: dog.
0: <laughs> there was sort of, it's sort of I don't know again if it's true but the story is a little it's become kind of classic about how you responded to the news that you had the part.
1: Yes. Well, he played with me. Did he tell you I that? I didn't hear that
0: part. I heard just well, he you did. Pra- okay.
1: He called and he said,
0: "Cameron." Yes. Yeah.
1: And I thought, "Oh, that's really nice. That's really nice. That's takes a lot of character yeah. to call the person that you're going to let down personally. Right. <laughs> I thought, I knew I liked this guy.
0: Right, right. I
1: knew that, I knew he was a class right. act. <laughs> and he was really apologetic in his tone. He said, "Hey, <laughs> I'm really sorry that it took us, you know a while to figure it out and i want to tell you you know and he was going off on this whole long tangent i'm like just break my heart already <laughs> just break my heart just hurry right
0: right,
1: right. <laughs> hurry i want to go get a hamburger right. <laughs> just break my heart and uh yeah he kept going with that for a good minute of you know he did a great job and you know really so great to meet you and really love spending (laughs) the time and I just gotta say you
0: know we're just wondering if
1: you know you want if you
0: want the part (laughs) Yeah. And what, did you, is it true though, You supposedly you had said something like, what makes you think I want it? Or there was some like no, wisecrack.
1: crack. I, I told him I would have to see if it didn't my
0: schedule. <laughs> right. Well, mm. so that was obviously, you know, the beginning of a whole new chapter, I'm sure. And so I wonder though, if people recall one scene from Jerry Maguire, it tends to be, you had me a hello. And Cameron was saying that you guys did that like 15 times. Why was that? And did you ever imagine that that scene would be something that would follow you for the rest of your life?
1: No, I didn't get past the day. Yeah, I just right. didn't want to disappoint him. Right. I wasn't sure what he was looking for, right. but I just hoped that we'd find it, yeah. you know? Yeah, and he does this thing, you know, he just he lets it roll so that wherever it is that you— whatever, I don't know, emotional place mm-hmm. that you reach, you can just keep going from there. Yeah. And so it just kept rolling. He just kept, it going, kept us in the room and kept in that thing. And he just, the delivery was different every time to get a different kind of thing. And then, I don't know, I started to feel it in a different way. Dude. And I started to understand what he was doing because the truth of... Of that exchange became so real to me and uh, it was overwhelming it was magic that day
0: Wow and I mean it sounds like again in his mind he's going into that scene thinking Charlie McLean in the apartment he said the line shut up and deal like the last line it was sort of said dismissively that's what he was kind of pushing you towards right but uh, interesting so you didn't go to the premiere which is interesting because that i feel like how's that possible but then the movie opens and it gets so well received and you particularly i wanted to quote back from the la times review because this was pretty amazing Quote, the buzz-around co-star Zellweger has been intense ever since she was plucked from the independent film world to play opposite Cruz, and it's a pleasure to say she's worth the advanced praise. Sensual and offbeat, with great relaxed comic timing and the ability to glow without being glamorous, Zellweger's way with the interplay of feeling and humor makes her the film's emotional center, close quote. So all of this is going on. You're getting so well-received. Movie opens. What do you remember of opening weekend and how things were different? It must have been almost immediately.
1: Wow. Well, not that. I don't remember that. <laughs> I've never heard that yeah. before. That's really kind. Thank but you.
0: Kind
1: of um. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. That's pretty special. Um, I was working. So I hired a publicist yeah. just before that, Nancy Ryder, yeah. so she could tell everybody no for me. <laughs> because... <laughs>
0: you were I, getting bombarded.
1: Well, I just... I don't think I was afraid. I just think that I was happy. And I didn't want my life to change dramatically. I didn't want to sort of court that attention in some way or I didn't want it to get out of control in some way. I just, I wanted my life to, you know, it was quiet and I, I wanted to find my way. I wanted to grow into that if I could.
0: Was it immediately where you went out to the supermarket or something and people were stopping you?
1: Well. I was busy. Yeah. So I didn't spend a lot of time off the set for yeah. quite some time. You know, I was in New York making price above rubies and we were working six days a week and we were rehearsing yeah. on the seventh and getting up when it's dark, going home when it's dark. So it was really quiet. Yeah. And I got this wonderful tape that Tom had made of their European tour that they oh. did, the press tour yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the press that they did and so I have the you, you know, I have them, oh yeah. yes yeah. on VHS, thank you very much. <laughs> yes it was
0: Well, the movie that you were off making at that time, as you said, A Price Above Rubies, of all things, you were playing a Hasidic Jewish housewife. Mm -hmm. And uh, it leads into just one kind of chain of discussion that I wanted to ask you about, because I think with the possible exception of Nicole Kidman or Gwyneth Paltrow, I don't know if anybody ever worked as many times as you with... And I I kind of say these days, like the late Harvey Weinstein. Merrimax was a producer of that, and Chicago, and Bridget Jones, and Cold Mountain, and so many. And I just wonder, if it's not an appropriate question, did you ever feel that he was unprofessional around you, or was it... Because, I mean, this is spanning now, 98 is that movie, through pretty near the... The end. I covered him. I, we all dealt with him. I think people knew he was a bully, but there wasn't a the sense that, from my point of view, that it went beyond that. Did you ever feel that he was unprofessional around you?
1: Can I ask you a question? Yeah, first? please. Did you interview him?
0: Numerous times.
1: And how was he to you?
0: He knew that he was going to see me every Oscar season, so he was never too mean to me or too rude to me. But he also, you know, would not behave the same way around media as others may be. Why? I don't know. I mean, I think probably just the obvious reasons, right? He doesn't want to—I think he did kind of like the persona of a swaggering tough guy. But, I mean, look, you were the one that I'm sure saw more of him with his guard down than I did.
1: But can I ask you one more question? Yeah, of course. What was he like with you?
0: Well, we have, he was on this podcast before it, so we've been doing it, we just had our fourth anniversary, he was an early guest, it's still up there, and I dealt with him before, and I think, look, you cannot deny, right, that he certainly had good taste in movies most of the time, and knew about this stuff. The fact that all the other stuff is obviously atrocious, but it doesn't change that, so from what, I think people enjoyed having somebody colorful to report on, not knowing that it there was this other side.
1: What? How would you describe him? What are the words you would use no, to describe him? No, I mean, he's
0: him? a slob, and, a, and a, I could see that he wouldn't be fun to work for, but he was interesting. Mm-hmm. And okay, so now I'm turning it back no, on you. No, no, keep going. <laughs> no, 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 because we, I don't want to shortchange the rest of your career. We have so much more to talk about, but I just wanted to get, be, it's not in any way to, I know that a lot of people say they have no sense other than just that he could be a jerk and pushy. We had Kate Winslet on here, and she said that Oscar categories and things—you know—she felt she should be a lead, and he would say supporting or whatever, different things like that, where he would be mean, but he didn't necessarily get out of line.
1: Yeah, that's the guy that I knew. That's just the bully. Well, no, no, not the bully. Yeah, he was gruff. Yeah, and um, jocular. Yeah, and he made jokes about looking hot in that skirt mm-hmm. but it wasn't threatening yeah and it wasn't demeaning yeah right. I knew that he was in this really awkward uncomfortable way yeah trying to give me a compliment yeah, yeah. it never went further than that I am well,
0: glad to hear I'm, I mean I yeah it's been a sad thing because it makes you look back at the all these great movies and the whole thing and you don't know what to think anymore I think
1: it's a big conversation. Yeah. It's a very big conversation because, you know, I I don't know, he was a, my professional collaborator and around really important things in my life.
0: Yeah. I left out Miss Potter. That's another one that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And he was kind to me.
0: Right. Right. And
1: he was so generous with me. Right. And it felt authentic to me. Yeah. It didn't feel like that this was, uh, what's the word, when you're conditionally kind oh, because you want something, yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, transactional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like that.
0: Right. right. I know. I mean, and look, there's there. He, it's a very complicated person because all of the people who ever worked in his high levels of his PR or awards operations or any of the things that he's most known for, they were always women. And they felt they were treated very respectfully. He respected that they were the best people for those jobs but obviously there's this other side but anyway I don't want no, to didn't mean to take it all off course no but. no
1: it's a it's a, an important conversation yeah. and it it makes me very sad yeah personally sad i
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm sad for his family yeah i'm sad for the women that were hurt
0: of course yeah
1: i'm sad for him yeah and i wish him healing yeah. so that he can somehow try to make reparations right. it's, it's, for the damage that he's done
0: yeah that's a crazy situation well to come back to you i want to ask you about after jerry mcguire suddenly you're this exciting new person in town. And it was interesting because that's normally when people like rush into a million things and sign up to, you know, they want to strike while the iron's hot. It seems like you took your time. And the first major part to come about as a result of that, I think was one true thing opposite Meryl Streep. Was there a calculation here? I want to make sure I don't rush into the wrong. I want to shape my career in a strategic way.
1: I don't know if it was as calculated as that. It felt like there were certain things that I was curious about, mm-hmm. and good stories was primarily what drew my attention. Yeah, and this was a great story, mm-hmm. and that Meryl Streep wants to do this film.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, can't can't beat that, right? And I guess after that, the next big one would be Me, Myself, and Irene. With Mr. Carey, and I guess, I wonder, had you really, in terms of a comedy and uh, showing another side of yourself, that was probably the first time for something like, like that on since you had a, a lot of eyeballs on you, right?
1: Oh, uh, maybe so. I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Was that the first real comedy?
0: But that's interesting, because that was also the same year as Nurse Betty, and oh, yes. Neil Butte is not somebody who is known at that point for, you know, interesting female parts, and yet here was one for sure i had read that even you were you know when you heard it was a piece of material from him there was this sense like i've I got to see this to believe it that it would not because you had, hadn't you seen some of those in the company of men and certain other things of his that might not have in, endeared him to you before that
1: oh no i was a fan yeah
0: all right, all right. well no, it's because
1: intelligent yes and he's an original yeah definitely. so when he's putting work out there yeah. you think oh, okay he's starting a conversation right, here
0: right, right. and
1: i'd love to meet with him and right. find out why and we ate pizza <laughs> and he's funny and warm and self-effacing and hilarious which
0: you would never necessarily nice. get from the no, yeah. so
1: he was so funny and, right. and just a lovely man and yeah, I mean, and obviously the writing is yeah. exceptional. Uh, so. they,
0: they showed a scene from that at your Telluride tribute a few weeks ago, and it, mm-hmm. it's a reminder, i got to go back and rewatch the whole movie. But that was just, it seemed like a fun part to play. And then I it's guess... So it, great. Aaron and, and Chris yeah.
1: Brock. Oh, yeah. And Morgan Freeman. Yeah,
0: incredible. Oh. And so... You won your first Golden Globe for that. And then, I guess, is uh, the beginning of something that really spans a number of, probably longer than any any other single part you've ever, certainly than anything else you've had to do, which is Bridget Jones. This was, from what I had read, they're, they're looking for someone for two years, and every British person, I'm seeing Kate Winslow, Rachel Waste, Chris Scott Thomas, Elizabeth Hurley, Tilda Swinton, Helena Bonham Carter, on and on and on, and they choose to go with not a Brit, but a Texan. What was there actually was prior to you playing the part a bit of a backlash, right? They were there, were, people were skeptical.
1: I wasn't really aware of that. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that I wasn't <laughs> aware of that. I, I didn't really know. I just was curious if it was possible. And I asked Eric Fellner about that some years later. Uh, he's the producer yeah. of Working Title. And yeah. You know, he's, englishman yeah. and he said uh, that he had seen me at the golden globes yeah. and he thought i was such an odd quirky person i <laughs> thought who's this odd quirky person <laughs> and i thought i don't know how to take that eric yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you <Right>. a <laughs> little question mark at the yeah. end oh my no gosh. i mean but but flattering i mean flattering i'll take that but That's it did
0: put a little pressure on you to get the accent right right
1: you know, I don't know. Because again, I wasn't really so aware of that. There were moments where I'd have flashes of it that I would come across because it was my job yes, at, yes. when I was doing work experience yes. at Picador. Yes, you were uh, working publishing as a at girl. the publisher. Yeah, right. Yeah, to need to know Bridget's job. Right. So I would have to cut clippings for Helen Fielding, who was represented by the company, mm-hmm. and put them in a file. That was part of my job. <laughs> and every now and then I'd come across an article about the about... <laughs> crap Texan. comedian, you know, but otherwise, you know, I just, there was a lot of work to do
0: yeah. and
1: the days were pretty full with, you know, trying to get things done.
0: And you had to eat a lot at that time.
1: Yes. There was lots of meals and there were lots and lots of dialect sessions. We start in the morning before work. We met at lunch. We met after work. (laughs) We would have dinner. We'd work after dinner and it would start over again for months before we filmed. So I had a lot of help.
0: People obviously really loved you in that and I first Oscar nomination, all of that. But I wonder what you make of the New York Times theory of why that worked so well. They say speaking about you, quote, she is always slightly sad when funny and slightly funny when sad, close quote. And I've seen a lot of other directors or collaborators, people they feel like you have this ability to play both of those things at the same time. Have you ever is that a conscious thing?
1: No, but it sounds like I'm redundant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. Scene
1: one, I've no. seen them all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, I mean, it's, it, it, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Oh, but gosh. anyway, we're obviously at this time here around Judy, but obviously the first time you were singing and dancing in, a, in front of a lot of people, would have it's I guess would be Chicago. And how did that come about? Because to my knowledge, that wasn't something you were... Known for that you'd studied that you'd done a lot of, so why did they think you could do it?
1: Chicago? Yeah, I don't know.
0: They never said. No, I and
1: don't it's know. And Rob, a
0: choreographer, is
1: yes, Rob, the choreographer yeah. and director. Yeah, he's a phenomenally yeah. talented man. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to meet in New York, and so we went to meet, and uh, we tinkered around a little bit on a makeshift kind of on a studio stage I guess Uh, dance rehearsal space that's what it was and he showed me just a few steps just to introduce the style the Fosse style to me and I didn't realize that he was watching to see if I could pick it up
0: did you think you could do it immediately or did it take some convincing for you even
1: I knew I wanted to try Yeah. I didn't I didn't know if I knew what I was doing <laughs> or whether it was a good idea, right. but you know I figured well uh, you know I could just take that chance at someone else's expense. Right,
0: right, right. <laughs> Forty-five million here or there, whatever. <laughs> and the singing aspect of it all—it
1: was quick. I remember it was really quick. We went up to Canada and we started in Toronto in October of 2001, Mm -hmm. it was right after 9-11, yeah, and we went up and we started rehearsals then, and I believe we started to film right after Thanksgiving. So it was quite quick. It was training camp, you know, and we had all these little stations set up where you'd do your solo here, oh, and then really? <laughs> you'd go in there and do the group dance, and then you'd go into singing in the front room and right. work on vocal performances, and then you'd come over here. You know, everything was happening simultaneously. Yeah. It was, yeah. and we would rotate. Okay, now you're on the main floor with this number with the dancers, and then so-and-so goes to the singing class. It was like that.
0: Did you have to see the movie completed to believe that it was you know, was going to come together, or did you sense it during the making of it at a certain point, this is gelling into something special?
1: It felt so special to me from the start. Yeah. It felt so special to me. I mean, just the visuals and the the camera, the complicated camera moves that he was doing and the way that he makes the stage performances with the narrative. And it was so beautifully imagined. Mm -hmm. But... I had no expectation for what it would become in its completion. And I was astounded. I was astounded and so grateful. I was so grateful because, I mean, that is the representation of what we got to do. I mean, I felt like I'd won the Olympics after (laughs) we've wrapped the Roxy number, you know, because all that stuff had to come together at once. And and. Then when it did, I felt like I did the landing on the beam yeah. of a lifetime, you know? <laughs> and it, there were highs like that every day. And then to see yeah. how beautifully moving it was and how profound.
0: It was one of the first times I've ever been in a movie where it gets applause in the middle of a movie. That just doesn't happen. And, well, it happened in Judy, too. But Way to go, uh, Rob. <laughs> yeah, Rob. Way to man. go, Rob. Best picture Oscar there. Then, interestingly, right after that, you're on the heels of that. Down with Love was interesting. People don't, I think, remember enough. Like, it's sort of a pillow talk kind of yeah. uh, was, cool old fashioned thing.
1: I remember we got the news. It's being released on this day. Yeah. Everybody, get ready. And we'd like, oh, what else is being released that day? Oh, well, we're doing counter programming. So it's going to be great. And we like, yeah, but what else is opening <laughs> up on that day? And they'd like, oh, well, uh, just the Matrix, too. <laughs> but it's going to be great.
0: Oh, no. And so it got a little, got a little lost. But people... I was like,
1: wait, you can't do that because I'm going to The Matrix, right? too, on opening day.
0: It, it,
1: and my mom and yeah. my brother and, you know. The
0: whole top. Well, so, yeah, it was sad because it got a little lost. But it's interesting when people did end of the year lists, end of the decade lists of best movies. It was actually showing up in a number of places. But the other one that year is the one that I think is going to probably be remembered uh, and associated with you a little longer, which is Cold Mountain for Anthony Mangella. It was great in Telluride to be able to be refreshed about what an entrance your character, Ruby, makes in that movie with the chicken and everything there. And I guess I just wonder what you saw as your responsibility in that movie? What was this as a character who, you won the supporting actress Oscar. It was not the, necessarily the, the central character in the movie, but it was an extremely important one who has to come in and deliver. How did you see that one?
1: I loved this book. Yeah? I read the galleys of this book before it was released. I Wanted with my then boyfriend, who's a director, to acquire the option, (laughs) which was impossible because after this weekend newsweek report, uh, you know, on how spectacular the book, the rather review was, yeah, Yeah, this is a (laughs) million (laughs) dollars. And we're like, well, that was a nice dream. But I loved that book and I followed it for years five years I'd followed it. I actually met Anthony Mangella at the Empire Awards in England Because Cameron Crowe was receiving an award and he couldn't go, and he asked me if uh, I would accept uh, it on his behalf, uh, and it was just—I don't know—one of those moments when the universe intervenes. And Anthony was on the stage, and he walked over to me and he said, "Hello, <laughs> I'm Anthony," <laughs> and I said, "Hi," and uh, he said, "I heard you love Cold Mountain," and I said. Good night. Good night. (laughs) Wait, work it, (laughs) Zellweger. But we met again, and we talked about it. I don't know. It was a sensory experience for me reading that book. I love the history. I love Charles Frazier's music and his words. I love how he captures the smell of the place, and he described that period in American history in a way mm-hmm. that I had never considered it before. I was so in love with this piece of material. And then I fell in love with Anthony mm-hmm. and he said, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Ruby. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I'd never considered that. Really? You think?
0: Country girl. Was it the act Texas accent that made it? What do you think made him think that?
1: I don't know.
0: Wow. Well, it was... I
1: don't know, but I'm so grateful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let me just come back for a minute to the Oscar. What is the significance of something like that to you? Some people act like it's nothing and they use it, they claim they use it as their bathroom doorstop or whatever. I don't buy that. I think it's, what does it symbolize? That, that acceptance by your peers or the industry, or like it just, what, what did that mean to you to get that recognition?
1: That's a really good question. I don't know that I've actually ever asked myself that question. I mean, there's the obvious that somehow you've been included in the historical record of cinema. And that's pretty special considering you have no expectation to be invited on the studio lot. (laughs) So that's a pretty cool thing. And that you've been part of something that really mattered to you creatively and personally, that resonates with other people. Yeah. And that's...
0: That was a great, I remember very clearly that was an exciting one just to see, because I think a lot of people wanted that for you the year before, even with Chicago, so to have those two in back-to-back years, and uh, at least one of them, it was nice to see happen there. And that's then, a kind thing. To no, say. well, you. sure. And then it was back for another Bridget Jones, which was Edge of Reason in two thousand four. Very good one. Another uh, Cinderella Man, which I think, for a variety of reasons, maybe wasn't as loved as it should have been, but it was a great, great one.
1: I loved it.
0: It's so good. I it, thought
1: Russell Crowe was phenomenal in yep. that role. Yep. And I thought what Ron Howard did. Oh my gosh! I think it's one of the great boxing films, and oh, I can absolutely. say that you know objectively. It it, take me out, no, it, take me out, and just the footage. Oh, it's fantastic! I, I love that. Uh, and how he recreated that period and how he captured life in that moment of you know desperation and yeah, depression yeah, in yeah. America oh, is great. yeah, right. Way to go, Ron!
0: And then Miss Potter, which I had mentioned earlier, is it's interesting because you know speaking of, we're going to come in a moment to this hiatus that you're now you've just come out of but i mean chris noonan had done babe it had but nothing between babe and miss potter that's 11 years of a uh, gap for him and this one you're playing beatrix potter and i just i thought it was a quiet but like another very interesting another british character but another but totally different Victorian, i guess victorian era and what did you what drew you to that one
1: oh it's a gorgeous story yeah and what an interesting historically significant person.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, she was one of the original conservationists, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, putting all of her money into the National Trust and yeah. land investment and land preservation and everybody has her to thank for the lake districts, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just just a gorgeous story. It's hard to believe that it's true. Yeah. And it? she was a pioneer. Totally. She made her own money. She was the first person to be included in, what is it, the, uh, the Victoria and Albert Museum yeah. for her work as a naturalist, you know? Right. Her sketches are still there as reference points because they were so meticulous and correct. Right. I mean, she was, what an extraordinary person.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you, you came out of essentially six years of not working in this in this business or in front of the camera we could say I want to ask why that began I know that right before it like like you've actually had far fewer movies that haven't done well than probably most people you have the higher batting average than most people but there were right before that a few that through no fault of your own probably didn't go as well as go over as well as you guys might have wanted, like a uh, leatherheads which Clooney joked about when we had him on and I just I loved it. It was yeah. I it,
1: loved it. And
0: I know I suspect you also like new in town and my own love, so there were things Oh yes. But was that even a contributing factor to why you said, you know what, I need to take a break?
1: No. Oh no.
0: What so what was that?
1: No, all of that uh, you know, it's none of my business. Once it's done... Yeah, you do the work. And, yeah. yeah. And what motivates me to be involved has been the same since the beginning. Yeah, And I felt I felt honored to be part of those experiences and to make those films. And I'm glad we made them. Yeah. And I love them all for different reasons. Right. And the friends that I made on them and the life experiences. And no, I, I stopped because I didn't feel gratitude in the way that I should anymore when I was sitting in the trailer by myself uh, on a holiday. And I felt, I don't know, I felt like I had run dry in terms of life experiences that I had to draw from to authentically tell the stories of these characters felt like I essentially dove in at 27, 26, Mm -hmm. 25 really. And I didn't stop until I was 40
0: something. Was that you pushing yourself? Was that somebody saying, don't don't take your foot off the pedal because you never know if you'll be able to get it back on it. Like why were you going that hard for so long?
1: Because the list of things that you just talked about Mm -hmm. were So exceptional Mm -hmm. that I would deeply regret having stepped away, and it wasn't necessary at that time. I knew that I was tired, and I knew that I missed my family, and I knew that I really didn't know where I lived, (laughs) have that house, but don't live there, but I didn't feel the consequences of it yet it took a lot more time before I started to recognize the consequences of it, probably around Beatrix Potter. I started to be like, girl, you're tired. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is not, you can't keep doing this. You can't sleep for three hours a night for four months right. to do your job right, and then go on a press tour right. or put on a pretty heel and supposedly look pretty because good <laughs> luck, you know? Right. Flying from you know overseas right. for the weekend and smiling as if if, you know
0: it's all great yeah Yeah.
1: you you can't keep doing that and so i i I thought right you need to just sit down for a minute and you don't have to understand everything today and you don't have to make decisions about where things go you just have to stop and be still so that you can hear those messages
0: i think you know i'm only bringing this up because i saw you've spoken about it in in other there's no reason to not feel okay with that. Well, I've been to therapists. A lot of people have been to therapists. You've said that it was helpful to you in reaching the conclusion that this needed to happen, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, he pointed it out, it out to me. I saw a gentleman in New York who a yeah. girlfriend of mine had mentioned yeah. my, I might find interesting. Yeah. And I liked how she approached it. It wasn't like-
0: That sounds like setting you up for a date. A date, <laughs> <Yeah>. right?
1: <laughs> right. Well, she just thought perspective is important. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And- this gentleman is so smart. Not just, not just, you know, wise through right. experience, but he's just a, a, he's an intellectually, what's the word? Yeah,
0: multifaceted. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah
1: and i enjoyed the conversations with him yeah. and through these conversations you know we weren't like regurgitating the boring details of my life <laughs> and with you know weeping on the couch right, or something right, right. like that we were just having conversations yeah. and yeah. some of his observations were very enlightening to me and he pointed out do you realize this
0: that basically you weren't you didn't have very many hours of your day where you were just yourself
1: yeah yeah. That, that all the decisions that I made right. that are of great significance in a life yeah. had very little to do with me right. and everything to do with this, this job and the public persona that sort of enters the room before I do.
0: So when you decided, all right, I'm taking a break. Did you have any sense in your mind of how long that would be for? Did your What did your people around you that you're close with, family, friends, you know, representatives or whatever, what did they make of this?
1: Well, I mean, there were other things to consider yeah. that my family and friends were concerned with.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like when your friend is haggard and, mm-hmm. and can't see the forest for the trees, mm-hmm. there's heartbreak in the mix. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that sort of surface and take priority in terms of how your friends are looking at your life yeah. and the experiences they're sharing with you, very different, yeah. had nothing to do with the job. Yeah. And of course, there's the you know conversations about why it's a bad idea <laughs> and don't make that choice right now, and especially not right now, because now, you know, maybe... But it doesn't matter. It didn't matter at that point. But did you imagine
0: at that point, this is going to be six months and I'm back? Or what did you, you you knew it was going to be a long time?
1: No, I didn't, I didn't have clarity at that moment about why it was necessary. And I needed to figure that out first. I needed to, to have a moment and and try different things i I was curious for years i've been wanting to do other things Mm -hmm. but there was never time because there was always leaving right so i have this great desk and a bunch of things that i'd begun to write and i can't finish them ever because i'm always leaving them behind and i back
0: to you wanting to be a writer potentially before any of this right yeah, yeah and so that was part of what you did during those six years you were you i know you were i think you were writing and developing a tv show yes but what i mean how were you spending your time for those six years that's a small part of it it sounds like
1: well i stopped running so that i could see what it was really like to be in a relationship yeah. where you share a town yeah <laughs> um and i you know built a home mm-hmm. i fell in love mm-hmm. adopted some dogs mm-hmm created the tv show yep. did some development work for bridget jones yeah. baby yeah which started in like i guess 2010 yeah. the conversations
0: yeah.
1: so that was ongoing and then, so yeah. there and was, i think you
0: went to, back to school i did i had read two things i don't know if they're both correct one of them was that it was for a non-entertainment related classes, and then there was one about screenwriting. Is that both? No, I didn't take a screenwriting class. Okay, I didn't think so, but Uh -uh. so what was the subject that you were studying?
1: Uh, I went to study public policy. Why that? Because I'm fascinated. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Is is there a way to continue to employ what you learned from that moving forward?
1: For me personally? Yeah. Yeah. I like to build on it.
0: Yeah. So it was positive those those six years you weren't in any way were you missing this well it
1: was necessary yeah and then i have to ask you another question yeah does anybody wonder where daniel day lewis goes
0: well we hear these stories you hear he's a cobbler in ireland or you hear these random we didn't we didn't really hear anything from which is a credit to you really you were effective at shutting out this other the public side he there, w- there would always be these rumblings about, and there's been different reports about what he was doing. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's an because un- it, it's so uncommon, but probably healthy to not go 150 miles per hour for 30 years in a row, right? But, probably. So what was the, you said Bridget Jones's baby was the first one that you were thinking about coming back for. And it was the first one that actually, that was in 2016. I guess one thing I want to, just to, Tie a loose thread or whatever they say. You had mentioned earlier Nancy Ryder was the publicist that you hired at the yes. b- very beginning. Yes. And one of the things that I know because I'm my good friend Chris Gardner is somebody oh, who I think you know so well. He's so wonderful. He's covered this crazy journey that Nancy has been on since 2014, I think. She, I think, just had come through breast cancer and now gets an ALS diagnosis. And I know from Chris and other people, Part of what you were doing during these years was being a very good friend to her.
1: Yeah, there was some advocacy work that, um, that she wanted to participate in. Mm-hmm. And so I shared that with her. Yeah, I'm sharing that with yeah. her. Yeah. I think the walk is, what is it? It's in November this year. You can look on People the should ALS do Association yeah. website.
0: The ALS walk, yeah.
1: It's really worth coming. because boy, it just, I don't know. Your faith in humanity will be bolstered. Yeah. You will leave a changed person. Wow.
0: Well, I, I definitely plan to to do that. And so I guess just coming to the present, you came back with Bridget Jones's baby. You had What If, which I think was actually shot after Judy from what I heard earlier today, but, yes. but that came out first, the mm-hmm. series on Netflix. And Bridget Jones, by the way, is like, 12, that's probably the longest gap between, aside from Star Wars, between installments in a series to come back 12 years later. That was, you know, I was curious what it's like to step back into that. I was curious what it's like to do TV for the first time. But then, of course, like to get a get somebody raising the idea that you should play Judy Garland. So this crazy year or so of, of those things, just if you can how they came at you.
1: Okay. Wow. (laughs) That is a good series of questions. Okay, start at the beginning, the first one you talked about. Twelve years later
0: to step back in.
1: Well, I loved Lucy in black and white in the New York apartment and I loved it when they moved to California. Right. And they had the backyard barbecue thing. And then I loved her in Technicolor working at the bank. Right. And it felt like wow, what a What a life blessing to get to portray a character in different life stages, telling stories that are relatable to an audience who, who love her like you do, and can share those stories with you together. Yep. Yep. I mean, come on. How special is that?
0: And people, absolutely. They've loved having you come back to that and then
1: well I'm talking about Bridget Jones Helen Fielding's. Her, oh Bridget
0: for Jones. I see what you're saying because
1: I, I love her too yes you know yes. I love her on the pages right. as much as getting to play her right which is you know
0: and then what if in those six years that you'd been away TV had suddenly become you know it used to be the, the sort of place you ended up if things weren't going well now it's the place that it's like as hot as anything right I mean earlier in your career would you have ever thought you would want to do TV
1: oh sure yeah Good is good. Yeah, I mean, there's no discounting the things that you've loved all your life, yeah. and me too. That we still reference and look for reruns, you yeah. know, anywhere.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Okay, and then Judy. So, like, I was lucky to be in that audience the first night in Telluride World Premiere. You Premier. were uh, absolutely. You were there, of course. And well,
1: thanks. That's so that, nice. No, that was.
0: I wasn't gonna miss that. I, and I honestly will say like I think a lot of people that that are familiar with you and then they see what Judy Garland looked like and just the way it's a it's unlike anything we've ever seen you do before even though we've seen you sing and we've seen you dance we do it so I guess I was like kind of in the back of my head I've got to see this to believe it and like everybody else who's seen it was just totally blown away and I guess I just wonder though whose idea was it that this was even feasible that you could be made to look and sound and All these things like her.
1: David Livingston, the producer.
0: The producer. It started with him?
1: Yeah. I'd worked with him a long time ago, back Mm -hmm. in um, the early 2000s, -hmm. I guess. And he sent it to John Carbino, who read it Mm -hmm. and loved it and called me and said, you got to read this. And I thought, why did they send it to me? (laughs) You know, I'm not a performer like that. I don't, you know. And he said, just read it. Like he's done many times in the years. Just read it, and um, and I read it, and I found it to be a really beautiful story. I mean, despite its subject matter, which from the outside you can say yes, these circumstances are tragic, but what the story tries to do is contextualize it. Yeah. And then I don't know. I came out of reading that thinking, oh, she's so much more extraordinary than I knew. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated why they wanted to make this film. And I talked to David and he said, Well just just come to England and we'll just try something. Just come. And they said, Well, we'll just we'll go to Abbey Road. I'm like, stop right there. What what, what time's the flight? Right. <laughs> We're gonna go to Abbey Road. Right. It's like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and they're gonna let us in. Right. right. <laughs> Yes, please. That's cool. Um yeah, so we went I went and we went and we tried some things. You think um, you were
0: feeling they were feeling out oh, can can she sing like this?
1: Absolutely, just like Rob Marshall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had you prep to make sure you could already at that point? he sent
1: me some recordings from some of her concerts later in life. And he sent me the ones where I think she was probably most vocally compromised. Uh And so it was quite different, you know, octave lower, maybe two, and talking some of the words instead of singing them Mm -hmm. and um, really reaching for them and they kind of crack a little bit. And I think that was by design that he sent me those recordings, but that's what what we were trying to do and I say we because it was the whole thing was this cooperative effort it was always David there and and Rupert the director always and Eric Vitreo the vocal coach and Mark the vocal coach in London and Matt Dunkley who was the composer always there and so. once you
0: guys decided you're gonna take the leap let's try to do this I did read that you probably as usual went off and did your own sub additional research and homework and all of that and I guess I wonder what that entailed and what if anything most surprised you about this woman who lived her whole life without taking the hiatus that probably would have been very healthy for her I mean she you you wonder if she might have been a might have made it had she done something like that made it a little bit longer in life
1: well, it does make you reflect yeah. a little bit but I don't know that she, thought that that was a possibility yeah, Right, that's her. what the
0: film kind of, yeah, there, you could, <clears throat> that's where you, I guess you can't take your foot off the, no. but I mean, what, I read that you were watching interviews and other stuff beyond the script. What, what was the most valuable?
1: There was uh, an interview that she did with Barbara Walters mm-hmm. with her children, Lorna and Joey, and her vulnerability in that interview broke my heart. She was holding on to her children in a way that seemed like she was just so frightened. And you could tell that she felt misunderstood. And she was afraid that she would be misrepresented. And
0: I'm sorry. No problem.
1: I get these robocalls. In a foreign language that oh, we don't recognize right.
0: quite a lot. You should uh
1: <laughs> I should have pushed play. No, and I was we could.
0: You could. Yeah, let them speak. The, you had me at hello. <laughs> That's
1: pretty good, actually. Anyway, My sorry, new voicemail. Okay. It never yeah, occurred yeah, to right. me. <laughs> My new voice message. <laughs>
0: sorry. Next time you get a call. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, you were giving this whole thought. No, no.
1: So you had asked about what was most important in that. And that one really seemed to give insight into where she was at that moment.
0: One of the things, though, that I couldn't help but wonder watching this is that turns out like throwing bread rolls and stuff at her and just being people were people were mean in some. I mean, she was obviously a, a beloved person by, by most people, but there are also some mean people. And I wondered if without getting into any more specifics than you feel like, if you could relate to that, having been around in this business for a few years and come across your own share of assholes, I'm sure, could you put yourself into her shoes more easily because of that?
1: Yeah, I guess it's fair to say that I could empathize, that I I know what that feels like
0: I think there was one of these I don't remember. maybe it was the Dick Cavett interview with her wh- which I know you had talked about so I went and watched it where she's saying like something about comebacks where
1: every time I go to the bathroom they call it a comeback, <laughs>
0: comeback. She's, funny. Mean, was that,
1: she's funny that
0: idea also though I mean people are the, supposedly this is a I mean a, a, in a sense it certainly is a great comeback role for you too it's not that you were ever not great but you'd Have you had that sense in in your own career where people use that word or or that that, uh, kind of way of looking at it?
1: I don't look at it that way. Yeah. You know, because these are real life experiences, yeah. going to England and, yeah. and making the list of things that you're hoping to achieve, mm-hmm. and then making more lists right. about the process that you need to commit to in order to achieve that. And there's a timeline, and there's a countdown too, and there's friends that you're making along the way, and there's not succeeding, and there's fear. And then there's the triumph of actually getting one of those things yeah. that you you hope to in one of those little categories on the list. And all of it involves this very fluid process of collaboration Mm -hmm. with all of these different departments. (laughs) And you walk away, all of us, we all walked away from that just wanting to celebrate her, you know? And everybody was putting their hearts into this because of the affection that they have for her Mm -hmm. or a connection that they feel to the legacy of her work and an appreciation for her Mm -hmm. and wanting to just applaud her for what she's achieved and the importance of what she contributed, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's how I look at it. I got to be part of that celebration and it was so cool. It was so special. and. I can't look at it any other way.
0: Well, the last question is just, there's such a transformation here with the, the physical stuff that you do. The, the songs I think people should realize are actually all you, which is not, uh, it was amazing. I mean, there's particularly, I thought the by myself number was just like a showstopper, but all of that, I guess just having then had put this out there where I guess like a lot of things, it could have gone very wrong, but it went so right here, where Telluride and everywhere since Toronto, people are talking about this in terms that you know you've had a lot of great successes, but there's people think this is a lot of people think this is the best thing you've ever done. So to be here in 2019 and have having people say that, having been in this since you were 26 and just everything you've been through, what do you make of this particular moment?
1: I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm really, really grateful. I'm grateful for a new perspective. And I'm grateful for being able to have that experience that I just described to you, yeah. to share that with so many special people who I love. And I'm grateful that what we had hoped to do mm-hmm. in terms of showing reverence seems to touch people and remind people of her importance in not just film history or the you know American music catalog mm-hmm. but in American history yeah. and how many lives that she has inspired and
0: influenced and
1: and I'm great and I'm grateful for that
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And
1: thanks. it's, it's, it's good to see you. Fun. you too. Thanks for going to Telluride. That was <laughs> oh, really no, nice I
0: mean, I, it was the I'm highlight. I'm not trying, it I'm Telluride, I'm Yeah, oh, right. right. I'm on the, I'm on the Renee Zellweger circuit. So this is-
1: <laughs> Me too. What's next? I'll you got you gotta, Yeah, I'll see you down the road.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5. Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wigler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in.